Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Miss Elizabeth Woodson. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I am fabulous. Yes, you are. And we're joined today by our producer, Mr. David Roark. David, how are you doing, buddy? Also fabulous. Oh, well, it's a fabulous competition on today's Culture Matters. Hey, in this, epi- in this episode, we're going to do a bit of a cultural roundup. There is certainly a lot going on, and we would be ignorant to avoid some of it. But we're going to start off tonight talking about... Uh, the recent moral failure of Hillsong pastor Carl Lentz, and we're going to talk a lot about COVID and what that has to do with our Thanksgiving traditions coming up on today's Culture Matters episode. All right, let's start our conversation with Carl Lentz. It was big news inside and outside the evangelical world, but before we get to that, for those who maybe haven't heard of Carl Lentz, David, uh, you're our local Carl Lentz expert. Can you tell people who don't know about him, who's Carl Lentz? Uh, Carl Lentz was the former lead pastor of Hillsong Church, New York City. Uh, he, I don't know how many years he's been there, but he's been there for a while. I think pretty much since the beginning of that plant when Hillsong planted there. He is also kind of known as being a celebrity pastor. So if you go to his Instagram he hangs with a lot of important people. And I feel like he kind of became known for that. Uh, lots of NBA basketball players. So Lentz did play division one college basketball. Oh. Therefore he plays a lot of pickup basketball in New York city and has become friends with, he's always been friends with a lot of New York Knicks naturally being in that area, but also other players. And he's uh, also friends with Justin Bieber. Mm. So Bieber Though I think Bieber's like main pastor is Judah Smith, but he attributed a lot of his spiritual growth in an interview one time to his relationship with Carl Lentz and Carl Lentz kind of taking him by the hand, I guess, when Bieber was going through some difficult times and and really helped him get through some some dark times. And so uh, that's Carl Lentz. And unfortunately, in the last few weeks, it's come to light that, um, well, the, the first announcement was from Hillsong. Which, tell people about Hillsong. People may not know. Hillsong is more than just like, hey, this is a New York City church. This is like a global phenomenon, album producing. It's not just celebrity pastor. You're talking about a movement. It's the. It's definitely, when it comes to like worship music, the biggest movement of them all. You know, like there's Hillsong United, just Hillsong. There's Hillsong Young and Free. There are other projects that have come out of it, but I mean, they've, they've released dozens and dozens of the most popular worship songs over the last 20 years that a lot of people sing in their churches, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously they have a huge worship school in Australia, which is where they started. Um, but now, I mean, they have campuses all around the world. I mean, they have a big Los Angeles campus. There's actually a Dallas campus now. Yeah. They're in they're in London. There's probably not a major city across the globe that they're not in at this point. So there are- Was Carl the founding pastor of Hillsong, New York? That was his gig? Or was that already there and he came along? I believe so. I, I need, I don't want to, I'm saying that uncertain. <laughs> let me, let me drag Elizabeth into this conversation. Elizabeth, your favorite Justin Bieber song is? Um, 
Justin Bieber makes some really great music oh, that no. has um, helped a lot of people. Um, I don't know any songs <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> you couldn't name a single one? He has a new no. one. He has a brand new one called Holy with Chance the Rapper. And it is, I mean, say what you will about Justin Bieber. And there's some of okay. his music that I'm not into. But his new song, Holy, is legitimately really good. But now uh, he, he also he also by the way if you go to his YouTube channel just gonna plug Justin Bieber here. <laughs> but uh, this episode is sponsored by Justin Bieber. <laughs> go to his YouTube channel and he released a documentary uh, around the same time that he released Holy with Chance the Rapper. It's like a twenty minute documentary about honestly kind of where he's at in life and it, the whole thing is about his faith and like it is surprising. Oh. Uh, of like where he is spiritually at this point. Like, yeah. I think that, I think if you're like, if you raise an eyebrow about like, Oh, Justin Bieber's a Christian, I think you watch something like this. You're like, okay, this guy's pretty serious. Sure. And I think I want to talk about that here in a second. Uh, Justin Bieber has become in some ways kind of a poster boy for uh, what Christians celebrities are like uh, similar to Kanye West is kind of like people will look to him to think, well, what do you think about this? Cause Christians think this, what do you think? And, and Bieber has become part of that. My little, you want to hear my little Bieber story real quick? This is my tangential Bieber story. <laughs> I've never met Justin Bieber. I don't know him. There was a very strange incident one day at the ch- a church I used to work at that will go unnamed called the Village Dallas, where I was working there one day. And uh, uh, Stephen Baldwin walked in. And Stephen Baldwin, you may know, is now Justin Bieber's father-in-law. And so his daughter is married to Justin Bieber. Stephen Baldwin was in Usual Suspects and probably the film you guys are all familiar with, Biodome with Polly Shore. And so he's a really big time actor. Absolutely. <laughs> His brother, Alec Baldwin, is a very famous actor. But uh, Stephen Baldwin was in there because Stephen uh, came to faith in Christ, became a very, uh, very active evangelical media maker and raised daughters that he wanted to be godly young women. And uh, he and I had a conversation that day about his daughters and how beautiful they were and how worried he was for them. And then his daughter went on to marry Justin Bieber. And now their marriage kind of becomes this. uh, It's iconic for the people that love Christians in the like spotlight, public sphere. Elizabeth, why do you think, why do people love fame and Christianity together. And I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying all Christians, but what is it in Christians that like love to see celebrities agree with them? Or is it just that we love to see anybody following Christ? Is there something more to it than that? I mean, I think we love to see anybody following Christ. I think we love being popular. And so if a celebrity is a Christian, then, oh, this Christian thing is really... um, has a level of significance. Um, you know, I think we would think any conversion is to be celebrated with equal importance, but we might celebrate, like the conversion of Kanye is a, is a really big thing um, or debated conversation, depending upon how you feel. Um, because we just want to be popular and want to have this level of prominence. And I think, I think it's part of our humanity to want to be accepted and loved by everyone. And so celebrities um, have a higher level of social status. And if we, if Christianity is linked to that, um, then we are kind of linked to that social status and that place of popularity. And so I think people just like being loved by a lot of people. Yes, I think so too. I think Christian Christians, uh, not all Christians, but there's a there's a large segment of Christianity that loves to not be at the margins, loves to say, but look at 
we need more Tim Tebow's in the world and we need more Kanye West and we need more Justin Bieber's. And I, I get that drive and I do want everybody to follow Christ, but Christianity is not defined by coolness or awesomeness. And in some ways, if you look at Carl Lentz, who we're talking about right now, he was kind of the epitome of the cool pastor. This is a athletic, incredibly fashionable, very... very I wasn't going to say that, but you can say that, David. He is very handsome, according to David Roark. You can follow David on Twitter or Instagram. And so uh, Carl Lentz is a very attractive person. So, David, now that we've talked kind of about Hillsong, we get this little conversation about Christian celebrity. What was the latest news here about Carl Lentz? Yeah, so there was an announcement from, I guess, Hillsong at large, which I believe is... Oh, not Joel Houston, his dad, who is Houston. Can't think is of his it first Bobby name. Houston. I don't think it's Bobby. No. Okay. Either way, it's the Houston hey. guy. It's yes. the Houston guy. And it, there was an email, I guess, out to all Hillsong members, even beyond New York, Hillsong, New York City, from my understanding, that just talked about um, him being removed from his role, uh, and it, it mentioned moral failure. It mentioned not being feeling like they could trust him anymore as a mm. leader. And it was a it was a bit ambiguous. And then I think it was a day or two after that, Carl posted something on his Instagram. You can go look at it if you look up his account. There's a photo of him and his wife and his two daughters. And he basically he he told everybody that, you know, he was unfaithful to his wife and that this that he was no longer gonna be with Hillsong New York City, was gonna miss them but understood why this was happening and is now beginning a journey to basically rebuild trust with his wife and daughters and so on. And he's not sure, you know, what ministry looks like moving forward. And then <laughs> the news from there, um, there was some, some articles and things that came to the surface. Um, one of those was a woman who I guess when she saw this uh, being announced, um, talked about she was the one who Carl had an affair with. Mm. And the story there, and I can't remember, I think it's in the New York Post, by the way, that particular, like the interview with her or the article that talked about her. And she was a Muslim and he approached her at a park in New York City made he said his name was Carl, but did not give her her last name and said that he was a sports agent in New York City. And that was the beginning, I think, of like a six-month affair between those two. Oh. And um, I, I don't know all the details about how it ended. I believe that his wife found something on his computer. Um, and that's some kind of messages between them or something. And that's how it came to light. So, yeah, he had this, this secret relationship, was pretending to be someone that he wasn't. And I believe all that happened during COVID, um, kind of during lockdown. So... I, there could be more stories, and I'm not going to just say that. I don't know sure. for sure, but this is at least the one that's emerged since the news came out. Well, and one thing our listeners should know, we're not a news organization, so we're not doing like journalistic background here and telling you these are all the facts. We're, we're trying to help Christians understand how do we navigate this world that right now, uh, honestly, heartbreakingly, this is one, if you've been a Christian for a while, this is one of many times you've heard of pastors walking into moral failures. And this is not because Carl dresses cool that this happened and it's not, but there's going to be people in this world that uh, delight to see a Christian fall. 
because they feel like it validates something in them about their mistrust of the church. And there's going to be people that have been hurt by their pastors and justifiably will feel just this uh, reoccurrence in their heart of like, see, this is why I can't trust anybody, uh, any person. And yeah, you're not, we're not called to put our trust in people. But unfortunately, this is one for, I've been in ministry, I think full-time for 17 years. And I can, I can't begin to count the number of men and women I've seen removed from positions for disqualifying sin. And it is my number one prayer as a pastor that my church that I pastor now never has to make an announcement like that about me or about anybody. I, I pray for the integrity of our leadership all the time because this is heartbreaking. It's disastrous. Elizabeth, let me ask you about this specifically because I think some people may be tempted in this moment to think, oh, pastors have some special susceptibility there because of uh, their position or their their leadership or or maybe this happens more in their church than in other places. I don't I believe there's sin like this everywhere, but the church has a very public version of it. Why is this so heartbreaking to the Christian church when you see moments like this? Carl Lentz, he's not my pastor. I, I don't even know him personally, but it still breaks my heart. Why why is this such a big deal that we'd even talk about this man's uh, heartbreaking situation, his poor family, that poor church? I mean, I think it, it means something. It should mean something to pastor a church. And so as a parishioner, you have someone who is leading you in your faith, someone that has this position of leadership and authority in your life and is, and for lack of better words, is connecting you with the Lord. Like we all know that we have a personal connection with our Lord, but we follow um, this under shepherd to um, be able to know what it means to follow Christ. And so that's weighty. And so your faith is directly impacted by someone's holiness or lack thereof or integrity or purity, whatever word you want to use. And so I think it's his behavior or the behavior of other pastors that we've seen directly affects the faith of those who follow them. Um, my ability to follow Jesus, my understanding of what it means to be a believer, understanding of trust, like you feel like you've been lied to, yeah. um, that you that you believe a person is going to hold a certain level of integrity um, in front of the camera and behind the camera um, and to dishonor the marriage covenant, um, what that meant for his children, like all yeah. these things um, for, especially for those who are less mature in their faith can be really damaging. Um, and so it's a really big deal when these things happen, basically I think because trust has been broken um, yeah. and this, invisible contract that exists between parishioners and their pastor um, that you're going to lead with integrity. And when you don't, something's broken there. Um, and I have talked to countless people who the reason why they don't come to church is because of a pastor or yeah. a ministry leader who did something immoral. Um, and it's just, yeah, the, the stakes are high for ministry people, but hopefully that we have come to terms with that before we step into ministry. Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a lot of people that will look at a situation like this, and you, you go one of two ways. You either look at the situation and go, well, what that man believes must not be true, because look at the life, look at the damage he's done to his wife and kids in that church. Or you say, here's a man who is not living according to the truth that he espouses, which is where I would land, and I hope most Christians would land, that you understand that this is not 
an actual indictment on the God that we follow, but rather another evidence of how desperately humanity needs a perfect God, how much we need repentance and, and how much, uh, how important it is for us to have men of integrity, women of integrity who are leading our churches. And uh, a lot of people, honestly, I've heard people say like, man, it sure seems like pastors are the people who are cheating on their wives. Pastors are the people who are stealing from their churches. Pastors... And I'll be honest with you, I, I do believe that's the case, that there are criminals that are pastors, there are adulterers who are pastors. Absolutely true. We've seen it time and time again. But there are also bankers who are, there are lawyers who are, there are policemen who are. The difference is that when this happens with a pastor, one, hopefully, a church, any church with its salt is going to tell their people about it. So people are going to know and you're going to hear about it in a lot of careers you won't. And two, that person is going to be removed from that position for moral failure. And so I don't know that it's necessarily the position so much as the way that we communicate about it. And people love to see, there's a group of people that love to see a pastor fall. And uh, most of a secular culture that looks at it as evidence that the church should not be trusted. When honestly, what, what I read in the Bible is not, hey, everybody, trust each other, trust your church. It's, hey, everybody, Point each other to Christ. Trust Christ. He's the one person who's not going to let you down. And at the same time, I think we want people of integrity. Elizabeth, how does a church prevent something like this from happening? How do we not be the next church who's going to be going through scandal like this? And I think as you create opportunities, one, for your leadership to walk in accountability. Um, and so you can't necessarily police people uh, to a certain level, but that there is a, a culture of accountability and integrity from the top down. Um, I think there's also opportunities for um, pastors who are stressed out, pastors who are at their wit end, wit's end have opportunities to share that in safe paced places. And so I know that a lot of pastors feel like they don't have a safe space to be human um, because they're caring for people, but they don't have a space to be cared for. Um, and so more mental health resources, more whatever resources to help our ministry professionals be able to care for people, which can be a very heavy and hard job. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even to point back to what you were saying, um, Adam, about that we hear about it more because of, I think, a church's commitment to be honest with its people. I also feel like what's happened with Carl Lentz is the first half. Um, the second half and the truth of the gospel is for him to be restored and for him to walk through a process of forgiveness and reconciliation with his leadership and his family. And so I think that Christians were committed to being honest and transparent about our shortcomings, but we also believe in the ability for the Lord to heal and restore um, in the same way that he does all things. And so I think that's what I'm hopeful is that there's as much transparency um, with the fallen nature of what's happened as there is with, hey, here's the restoration process. And here we have someone who maybe a couple of years down the line is back in ministry in a place where they're healthy and they're able to help God's people. But that restoration process has been significant um, in reference to what has caused the need for it in the first place. I love that. And it, we should say too, restoration for the person does not always mean restoration for the position. We're not saying, you're not necessarily saying, hey, we're, we're a couple of years from Carl Lentz being back in that role. No, the man is not kicked out of uh, church. He's not kicked out of the gospel, uh, but he is disqualified from the position. And there are, there are a lot of men and women who are disqualified from ever being in a position of authority in somebody's life again. It does not mean that they are beyond saving. There's no hopeless case for the gospel. David? 
Yeah, one other thing that I wanted to say, you know, to Elizabeth's point, just I don't know if this is going to be a popular opinion, but, you know, if we're trying to think about how the church avoids this, I do think that there's something to returning more to a weightiness around being in ministry. I remember uh, being in the training program at the Village Church and doing some study of the, like a lot of the early church fathers and like the common theme that I saw in all of their stories was like, no, none of them wanted to be pastors. Like they were like, please God, don't pull me into this. Like, and that was like, I found that really strange, but I think they understood how like in committing to ministry in this way, becoming a pastor or a minister that like there's the, uh, the level of accountability um, the consequences of sin when you're, you know, in that role are so great um, that like, it's kind of, it, it should be a bit of a scary thing. And I don't mean like you need to walk in fear, but it, I guess what I would say then is it, it makes me wonder if there are people who enter into ministry who should not have entered into ministry. Absolutely. And maybe, and maybe, maybe they could down the road, but if you're walking into ministry and you have, you know, let's just use Lentz for an example, but if you have a ongoing struggle with sexual sin of some sort and you walk into ministry like with that kind of at the forefront already then i mean like it's just not a recipe for success and it doesn't mean that we won't all have our struggles and you know the things that you know we're tempted toward but i think that if there's something present that you're really battling and you i don't know i just I think we just should be really cautious about going into ministry at all. And there's something to learn from the church fathers in that. Well, I think if there's secret sin, secrets cannot be kept from God. And understand that God loves his church enough that if you are somebody going into ministry thinking, I just won't tell anybody this, this will just stay secret. Listen, the Lord loves his church. He doesn't need any one of us in order to accomplish his will. I can remember my first interview at the Village Church when I was getting hired was on the heels of somebody who had gotten let go because of a a similar um, scandal. And the pastor who was hiring me sat me down and said, listen, if you are not honest with us about sin in your own life, the the Lord will know and the Lord will find you out. And this is his church and he loves it. And I was appreciated that talk. And to your point, David, I don't, I, there's a lot of people that think like, I, even though I'm struggling with this, I'm not going to tell anybody because it might mean something for my job. And if you find yourself as a person in ministry who is afraid to lose your job, so you're not going to confess, listen to me, no one should be in ministry for a paycheck. If you're doing this job because you need to support your family, I, I get it. But if you're not qualified for this job, and you're taking money from the church to support yourself, you are living out more of a lie. So find a place to be honest. And to Elizabeth's point, if a church can provide this person a safe place, or if you have an accountability structure in place, or there's maybe a minister from another church where the stakes don't seem as high, where you can be honest with that person and say, here's where I'm struggling. I'll tell you just as many times as I've seen somebody let go publicly, I've also heard of churches who have swept under the rug sin that their pastor has struggled with because they were afraid of the implications it would have on their church as if their church was a business they were afraid was going to go under as opposed to that organization which that the gates of hell will not prevail against like the lord's got us but just because being disqualified from a position does not mean being kicked out of the kingdom of god and it's worth it to be honest and to seek repentance and restoration and there, 
we could do entire episodes on restoration and on a, a failure of the church and restoration and on repentance and on the removal from ministry. Obviously, this is just at a cultural roundup where we're talking about Carl Lentz. There's so much more to say and so much more sensitivity we can bring to it. There's a lot of real hurt here, but we need to move on to our next topic and start talking a little bit about COVID. All right, David and Elizabeth, let's switch gears here and talk about what everybody is talking about now that the election is passed. And I know that's still big news, but the spiking COVID cases and the potential of a future vaccine. We're seeing significant spikes all over the place in our cities and in the city I live in, significant spikes. Elizabeth, why do you think COVID is back spiking again? Maybe worse than it ever I has. I think people what are, the, what are, are the contributing tired factors? of COVID. And so um, that there's a lot of guidance that has been given that there are some, whether social distancing or wearing masks that are just helpful. Um, and people just feel like, hey, I don't want to stay at home. I want to gather with the people that I care about. Um, I, and so understandably, we're just weary. Um, but I think the weariness doesn't mean that COVID is done with us. And so you just see increases um, in um, infection. And so infection doesn't always mean um, you have people that are asymptomatic. You have all different spectrums of that infection dynamic. But I think you just have um, the evidence of how we feel about COVID and what we're doing to protect ourselves against it and how that's showing up for the infection rate um, and the spikes. And it's going to, I think you got Thanksgiving coming up. And so um, we're going to see even more activity based upon people just want to gather with people, which is real. I think there's some real um, needs that people are feeling aren't being met by having to quarantine and Adam, I'm curious. I mean, our listeners will now know this, but you were not on the last episode for the reason that you just walked through COVID-19 yeah. uh, personally. And so kind of right at the same time as we're talking about, you know, this spike hit. So obviously, you know, you were around someone, whatever. I don't, I don't even know the story, but I'm curious to just kind of hear a little bit about that because we always talk about it so like, big picture on this yeah. podcast, but like, how did, how was that affecting you personally? I guess. Yeah, certainly it was personal for me for the last couple of weeks and, and it had a huge impact on our church. Uh, we had a staff meeting that I was at when I was positive, but unaware. And so I, we, we take precautions as a staff, but still they were in close proximity to me. And so we did a 14 day quarantine with our staff, which means we didn't do services at our church for two weeks. We did them online instead. And I missed a couple culture matters, opportunities in an episode because uh, honestly, I could have done it from our computer and you guys would have been safe, but I didn't feel well. And uh, I, of all the people I've talked to with COVID, everybody has a different experience. And so my symptoms were not the send me to the hospital, I'm having trouble breathing symptoms, although those are very real and unfortunately increasing. I had uh, just an incredible amount of fatigue and body aches and headaches and nausea and just a little bit of a fever, but it was ups and downs for over two weeks and um, isolated myself from my family. My family did not get COVID. My three kids, my wife, they all stayed negative. There was a, basically I'd gone on a double date 
with my wife and another couple to a restaurant and me and the the guy from the other couple, we both got COVID and found out later that the owners of that restaurant and got COVID and so did a bunch of their staff. And so it was kind of a little hot spot there. It had nothing to do with our church or the precautions we'd taken there. And we, we, I did see a, one of my staff members got sick, but our staff didn't have like a broad breakout and we didn't create a further hotspot, but COVID was, was no joke. And I have very mild symptoms, but they, they stay, they linger. And I, there are some people that have had much more serious ramifications, but the ramifications of the precautions to make sure it doesn't go any further, those are really hard to go through. The precautions to keep yourself uh, from, uh, from wearing yourself out or making things worse for yourself and just trying to get healthy, that's not fun. And then just the symptoms themselves, they linger. It's, it's awful. Um, but David, you know that COVID has become an incredibly political thing. So even me personally have it. I, I worried about what some people would think. What would they think of me like a leper or like I didn't obey regulations and I went to a restaurant where we are allowed to take off our masks to eat? Would they think I was foolish? What about the impacts on our church? And it, it seems like not only can you not please everybody, sometimes you can't please anybody. Why do you think COVID has become such a political divisive issue, David, and maybe even talk to us about well, maybe how the church can be different than the culture around this. Well, it's a big question about how it's become so political, and it's hard to not, you know, <laughs> name names when we get into that discussion. But I think, you know, from the very beginning of COVID-19 um, in America, it became very politicized because, you know, at that time, the President of the United States, um, he kind of downplayed it, and he definitely... You know, then there was some, I, I think that there was that and also really out of his administration, a lot of sort of um, skepticism toward, you know, the usefulness, usefulness of masks. And, you know, he didn't wear a mask. A lot of people in his administration didn't wear a mask. Some of them still have not been wearing masks. And, you know, we're seeing outbreaks there as well. Um, I think there's something to do with that. I think another thing is, there's just this growing distrust in the media and um, some of it right, some of it wrong, uh, some of it being, you know, um, amped up by our political leaders, you know, uh, on the left and right. And so what I think you've, you've seen is the media has definitely, you know, went the side of like following the science, you know, I would say that that's sort of the, the route that they've tried to take at least in terms of, uh, whatever um, Dr. Fauci is saying, you know, and other people like that, we're going to report on that. We're going to kind of make that, you know, loud and clear. And so if you have skepticism toward those news outlets, like, you know, the New York Times or Washington Post or whatever it is, then naturally what they start to report from these scientists, I think is going to be, you know, there's going to be some concern with that. And I'm, I'm kind of all over the place here. I think another thing that's been really hard is just, uh, this is a new virus and there's a lot that we don't know about it. And so CDC guidelines, for example, have changed over time. You know, early, early on, Dr. Fauci himself was unsure about the effectiveness of masks. And then now, you know, it's become clear that masks are really helpful and they stop the spread of the virus. But, you know, 
because it's a new virus, you know, we're constantly just kind of working with the best information in front of us from a scientific standpoint. And you make your hypothesis based on that data, you draw the best conclusion that you can, that's how science works. And then you gather more data, right? You, you kind of watch and you learn and you keep going. And I don't know that people quite understand that either. Um, anyway, I, I'm ranting. I don't know that I can put my finger on why it's become so politicized. Well, I think it, I, I really think part of the reason it's become so politicized is because it was an election year. And so it's, so you're going to talk about whatever you can to choose a side to say, how does your side feel about this? How does your side feel about this? And whether it's which countries we started to travel ban from and when, what does that say about you? And, and what, what plan would we have and how is it going? Is it, was the current administration able to overcome it? And if not, well, then the new administration has a better plan than they do. And so it's because of that debate. But the unfortunate thing to me, and that honestly, that's understandable to me. In an election year, everything is up for debate, how good things are going up for debate, whether or not the, a new leader would do better. All those things are up to debate. But because it became politicized, then it became something that whatever decisions your church is making uh, must communicate something about your church's political leaning or about how they feel about uh, a candidate or a politics or a policy. And so you have people that go, well, if you're going to wear masks at your church, I'm not going to come because that means you guys have bought into this agenda or this this narrative. And if you are wearing masks, then I'm, I'm or if you're not wearing masks, whatever decision you made, there's people that will say, well, I'm not going to that church anymore because look at what they're buying into or, or looking who they're siding with. And it became a statement instead of a decision that a church was making. Elizabeth, how can the church be above the political garbage? And uh, sorry if that was too strong a word, garbage, but the, the political ideologies and a church make decisions regarding COVID that are not politically motivated. They're, they're just I think it's how do we make decisions check. that are grounded in our ability to love people well um, and grounded in a faith that is more about community than it is about individual. Um, and so, you know, I think it's church members having a lot of grace and prayer for their leadership, knowing that their leadership is trying to make the best decision possible and then making decisions in this dynamic or this um, time are really hard. Um, and like Dave was talking about, things change. And so you're trying to make a decision for weeks out and then you get um, news that tells you something different. And so um, that you have membership that is really gracious with their leadership, but you also have leadership that is pointing their people to how can we be known for loving others and not knowing for trying to fight for our own individualism, um, which again, people can attribute to one camp or another. But to me, what should be distinctive about us is that the church has positioned itself that it's seeking to love um, those who are most affected by COVID, um, those who um, have lost jobs, those who are sick, those who have lost loved ones, that what comes from us is compassion, um, because it might not be significant for you, but it's significant for the thousands of people who have lost someone. And so people are spending this Thanksgiving season um, without a loved one. Like, that's significant. And we should be known for showing up in those instances and not known for some things that might seem to be um, not as significant or even at times a little petty. Um, and so it's hard. No one has the clear answers that we want to and we're doing the best we can. And so that there's a lot of grace, a lot of compassion, a lot of consideration for other people um, and a lot of flexibility. And that might mean that we have to be uncomfortable to be so that someone else can have um, someone else can feel safe or be safe. Um, and we yeah, I think that this communal 
characteristic of the church is what needs to ring loud. And I think we have room to grow in making that sound a little bit louder. Okay, as we're recording this episode, it's about to be Thanksgiving. We're about to see families all over the country, and some states are literally trying to prohibit this. They're trying to say, hey, the only people allowed in your house for Thanksgiving should be the people who already live there. And even some people are saying, hey, if you're if you're letting somebody else in your house, try to do a quiet Thanksgiving where nobody talks and you just kind of eat your food in silence and stay separate. And it just sounds very not Thanksgiving-y to me at all. But tell me, what before we talk about whether or not these are good ideas or what to do with them, what why is why is this the case? Why why are we worried about Thanksgiving? Tell me the implications for COVID. So you have with lots this of people um, in rooms together, and for a disease that spreads when lots of people get in rooms together, there just is increased risk. Um, and so I think even some of the spikes that we see the um, that. Um, you can cut that, Chris. Some of the spikes that we see are thought to that we're going to see increases because we just have lots of people in the same room um, for a virus that spreads um, with people being in the same room together. Well, I think you're going to see people from colleges going home, schools, you know, different school, different environments, all cross pollinating across the country. And all of a sudden our hot spots are going to be everywhere potentially, because the one thing that has been proven true about COVID, no denying it, it is incredibly contagious. But if you're around somebody that has it, there's a good chance that uh, you get it and manifest it. And, and the, the symptoms can be go anywhere from mild to deadly. And so you're going to go visit grandma and people wondering, well, if grandma is extra susceptible, is it a good idea to go visit grandma for Thanksgiving? But what does it do to grandma if we don't go visit her for Thanksgiving? Is that a good idea? What about her mental health, emotional health? What if this is our last Thanksgiving with grandma? I mean, you think about all the questions that are wrapped up into families traveling and, and tons of people are already traveling this week. They've sent millions of airline tickets and which I know is great for the airline industry, but I think the the fear mongers want to say, but what about what this is going to do to a disease that is already this week spiking? David, what do you think we should do? Do we just cancel everything? Cancel Thanksgiving? No more fun? Is Christmas? Let me ask you this for all the kids listening out there, David. Do we cancel Christmas? Well, I'll first say that you can't cancel Christmas. That's oh. not a that's not a thing that's actually possible. I don't know that you can you know just kind of get rid of the the time to stop and celebrate the the birth of our lord jesus christ but you know um, come on david <laughs> uh, i was talking about santa that, claus I, I don't i don't think it's quite possible um, you can't cancel jesus adam <laughs> you know thank you uh, mic drop we can end the episode right there oh my gosh no, you can't cancel jesus what else david what tell me for real like what are we supposed to do man well, I'm probably going to be, you know, maybe we all land in different places here. We didn't really talk about this beforehand. I'm definitely more on the conservative side. And when I say conservative, not like politically conservative, but like conservative and like, let's be really, really careful at Thanksgiving in the coming holidays. Um, I think that first, I, I know that we've been told this already and COVID has been, you know, happening for about nine months now, but like, I think just reminding everyone got to think big picture here. Like, you know, um, Thanksgiving, not being around family is going to be really hard. 
but the idea of maybe taking a break one year um, in order to literally save people's lives potentially uh, could be a decision worth, you know, making. I'm not saying that that's what everyone needs to do, but um, I think, you know, my recommendation, uh, at least in the way that we're thinking about it personally is like, you know, if you're going to have any kind of gathering, maybe if there were 20 people who were going together, you know, pre COVID can, can you break those up into four, four separate groups, you know, and if those four separate groups, you know, at least five people could meet, you know, four groups of five. And if those groups are going to meet, can you do some quarantining beforehand? Can you get tested a few times Mm -hmm. beforehand before going and seeing those people? Can you do your event outside? Um, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll just share personally, um, still a little uncertain about it to be, to be honest with you, but like, you know, we're, we're going to do Thanksgiving, um, at my parents' house where we're going to see my wife's, um, grandma as well, who is, you know, high, pretty high risk as well. But, you know, we are going to, the plan is to stay outdoors, the plan is to wear masks, uh, the plan is to get tested before going as a family, because my daughters, they go to school. I mean, they're around kids all the time, you know, and so we always work with the assumption that, you know, (laughs) they could, they could have COVID. And so, um, and those gatherings are not the big gatherings that we we've had in the past. Um, these are gatherings with, you know, I guess five people, you know, um, on one day, for example. And so I, I don't know, I'm just kind of, no, I think this, this is really helpful, but I think holidays in general are already stressful for a lot of our people, right? Going to see mom and dad or going to see grandma or going to see your uncles and cousins, it can already be tense. Then you add an election year where people are kind of hyped up on uh, the separation between who you voted for. You add in, again, another year where racial prejudice was kind of top of mind. and You add the, the tensions of maybe a relative who doesn't feel the same way you do about these things. But then you add whether or not we're wearing masks, whether or not we're going to be outside, whether or not we have one table or 10 tables, or whether or not we see each other at all. And here's what I would call Christians to be, is be patient, humble, and reasonable even if someone feels very different than you. I do err on the side of caution when it comes to things that are dangerous for other people. And I would not, if someone's wearing a mask, snap their mask off and tell them how ridiculous it is. I would not like uh, give somebody a hard time because of the way they feel, but be sensitive. I understand like people are going to feel different about these things. There's all sorts of stuff we're going to disagree about as a family. Man, the longer you're you're together with your family this week, the, the longer the list might be of how many things you guys are disagreeing about. But don't let the safety of your family be the thing that is so divisive. Try to be the example of loving, empathetic, understanding, humble. And that doesn't just mean that if everybody's cool with taking off the mask, then let's throw caution to the wind. I I do think right now is a time to kind of consider what does it mean to be wise? Not to be cowardly, but to be wise. What's going to be helpful for our culture right now? Elizabeth, any wisdom for the people that you might minister to who are thinking about what am I going to do for Thanksgiving? Yeah, I think it is uh, wisdom and to recognize that your choice affects other people. Um, So there's other people you might not see on Thanksgiving, but you might see after Thanksgiving. And so that we're making decisions that just don't consider us and we can feel like we're not taking a risk. Um, Because again, you don't know if someone has COVID based upon how they look or they might be asymptomatic and to recognize you're making a decision about a risk and to do so in wisdom, to not live fearfully, 
um, but to be a person who walks in the wisdom that the Lord gives. And so I think that if we have those kind of boundaries, that we can make some good decisions. And like David said, have the long game in mind. Um, a bit of discomfort this year can mean that we are able to celebrate the way we want to next year. And that means a lot. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. And I, if the Lord takes me home before then, I'm going to celebrate with Him. And I'm not saying Thanksgiving is like this Christian holiday that's promised to you in the Bible. And at the same time, I love Thanksgiving. I like eating with people and I love the tradition. My family, we don't really travel. We invite other people over whose families aren't around. And that's one of my favorite things. And I get why this year we need to be a little bit more cautious. In years past, we've had a bunch of our neighbors, a lot of refugees come by, strangers. And this may not be the year that we're able to do that. And uh, unfortunately, those are some of the preferences we lay down in order to serve our neighbors, in order to serve the people who live in and around us. And if you're listening to this episode after Thanksgiving has already happened and you feel like you've been unreasonable or you were unsafe, and listen, our assurance is with the Lord. And I get it. Some of us may get sick and some of us may die young and some of us may die ripe old age, but all of us are going to die. It doesn't mean we throw caution to the wind just because we know that we've got eternal life waiting for us. Man, we walk in wisdom. And we, we try to serve other people. And if you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, you owe some of your family an apology because of the way you handled things, okay, call them. Be the repentant brother or sister who says, hey, I shouldn't have said this or I want to talk about this. And that's okay. Let's be the ones who lead out in loving well in our families and in our communities. Uh, I hope that culture matters is always a blessing to you, but especially this week as we're we're talking about some heavy stuff like the integrity of your Christian leadership, decisions you make that may serve other people, and whether or not they're politicized fairly or unfairly. How are we going to serve and love one another? I hope that this is always a, a group of people that we think wisely. I'm sure that some of the stuff we said on this episode might have fired up some of you because. And we may not seem like we land in your camp. And maybe we do more than you think we do. But man, we love you. Thank you for listening. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett, produced by David Rohr. If you like what you hear, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. And you can follow us on Instagram or support our patron page at patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you.